So, as you can see, the first reading is from Genesis. Um, Okay. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And the second reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 15 to 17. No longer do I call you servants, For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So much to do, so little time. I wonder if you can relate to that. Uh, I know a guy who can called Jim. I was chatting to Jim just last week. Jim's probably a lot like many of you. He's studying at uni, this uni actually. He's got a pretty time intense degree. So he's probably not like uh, us art students. I I say that, I'm with you. I was an art student, uh, one of them. Jim's degree is very intense, lots of contact hours. He's got a placement on top of that. He's trying to work part-time. He's in a relationship. He's cooked in with his church, involved in a small group, wants to be involved in ministry. He's feeling stretched to the point that when we were talking uh, last week, he was in tears, actually. Even I wondered at one point whether he was afraid, afraid of what might be happening to him spiritually in light of just this feeling of being stretched. I wonder if you feel like that. Sometimes whether you feel like a rubber band, you know a rubber band that's been left out in the sun, it starts to lose its colour, and the more you stretch it, it's just going to snap. Whether you feel like you're at breaking point. Whether you feel a little bit like Jim, you've got this list of priorities in your head that just weighs you down. You've got all these friendships from school, from uni, from EU, uh, from your church if you're involved in one, I hope you are. You've got your family relationships, You've got a part-time job. You also don't want to be boring, so you've got hobbies that you want to keep up. They're important. And you've got your uni degree somewhere in the midst of all that. How do you do all that? Sometimes the, the pressure of all those things can make you feel like you're going to flip out, like you're overwhelmed. Maybe, though, for you, you're not, you're not at that point. You're not completely overwhelmed. But I do wonder if there are some of you here today who felt confused about time. Maybe you've wondered those questions before. Maybe even right now you're wondering these questions Who really am I? Uh, Who is God? Where am I headed? What should I be doing with my life? They're questions of time, really. And these are very important questions to be asking. A famous philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, uh, nailed them. He he really pinpointed that, that same feeling when he wrote, What I lack is to be clear... I've got this on the screen, I think. Nope. Sorry. My bad. What I really lack is to be clear in my mind what I'm about to what I am to do, not what I am to know. The thing is to understand myself, to see what God really wishes me to do, to find the idea for which I can live and die. I wonder if you feel like that. You're searching and searching, what's the, the idea for which I can really live and die for? 
So you ask those bigger questions about time. Who am I? Who's God? Where am I headed? What's he want from me? Uh, You should be asking those questions when you're at uni. Before the mortgage comes, before the overseas career happens, before if you're going to get married, marriage and kids come along, you want to be asking these questions. Who am I? Who's God? What's he want from me? Where am I headed? Your answer to those questions now your answer to those questions now will show itself in the way you spend your time. The things you prioritise, the way you manage your responsibilities. And it seems to me your answer to those questions can uh, take shape in a couple of different ways. One option really is to remain in the overwhelm zone where you're just constantly flipping out. You're always reacting. You're never taking the initiative You're always responding to things at the last minute. You're you're the person who's handing in assignments two weeks late. Uh, You're responding to relationships more often than not motivated out of guilt that you're not seeing your friend as much as you should. You're burdened by all the friends you're not seeing. That's one option, remain in the overwhelm zone. The other option really is to seize the day. This is the carpe diem uh, option if you've seen, was it Dead Pole Society? You get that time is precious. This is your time, your turf, your life. You're going to call the shots and you seize the day. Have you seen the film Up in the Air, you know, with George Clooney? Uh, George Clooney plays this professional jerk uh, called Ryan Ryan Bingham. I say professional jerk because it's his job to fire people. So managers who who are too chicken to do it themselves will bring in Ryan Bingham and he sits across the table and just says, right, you're fired. On the side in the film... Uh, he has a job as a motivational speaker. Uh, and it's, a, it's a great film. If you have Netflix, I just saw the other night, it's on at the moment. Uh, go and watch it as part of your procrastinating. Uh, he says in one of his great motivational pep talks, he says, how much does your life weigh? Imagine for a second that you're carrying a backpack. I want you to pack it with all the stuff that you have in your life. You start with the little things, the shelves, the drawers, the knickknacks. Then you start adding larger stuff. Clothes, tabletop appliances, lamps, your TV. The backpack should be getting pretty heavy now. You go bigger. Your couch, your car, your home. I want you to stuff it all into that backpack. Now I want you to fill it with people. Start with casual acquaintances, friends of friends, folks from around the office, and then you move into the people you trust with your most intimate secrets. Your brothers, your sisters, your children, your parents, and finally your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You get them into that backpack and feel the weight of that bag. Make no mistake, your relationships are the heaviest components in your life. All those negotiations and arguments and secrets, the compromises, the slower we move, the faster we die. Make no mistake, moving is living. Some animals were meant to carry each other, to live symbiotically over a lifetime. Star-crossed lovers, monogamous swans, we are not swans, we are sharks. See what I mean? He's a professional jerk, this guy. Yeah, you don't want to be friends with this guy. That's the seize the day option, right? So there's got to be better options than remaining in the completely overwhelmed zone, remaining in this seize the day zone where, to the point where you're ruthless, completely ruthless with your relationships. So what I want to suggest is that when we think about these deeper questions of time, uh, who am I? Who is God? Where are we headed? That we come to the scriptures and that we come with an open mind knowing that considering what God has to say about our time is actually incredibly worthwhile, worthy of your time and investment now. This is a crucially important stage of your life to think about these things. To come to the scriptures now with an open mind and particularly how the scriptures talk about the gospel of Jesus 
and what that has to bear in mind when we think about these broader questions of time. So what we're going to do over the next two weeks, we're not going to just look at how to get things done better. That would just be a little bit boring and dull. We're going to look at what the scriptures have to say about all these questions. We're going to look at what the scriptures say about who you are at the core of your being and how that should shape now the way we manage our time. So today what we're going to do is look at the scriptures, how they will talk about time as a created reality, that the the creation is a good gift given to us by a gift-giving God and it's our duty as people made in his image to creatively, carefully cultivate it. We're going to look at how to cultivate time and see that ultimately it's in the gospel that we see cultivating time is about love. Next week, what we're going to look at is really getting down to the nitty-gritty. Well, what does that actually look like when the rubber hits the road, when you've got competing priorities? How do you do that? So we're going to be looking at time as a matter of wisdom, and there's heaps in the Scriptures about this. We're going to be looking at the Proverbs and Ephesians next week as we look at time, responsibility, and wisdom. But today, like I said, we're going to see that time is a created thing. It's a created reality. Just like relationships like music, uh, like your study, and it's to be cultivated. Anyone doing ag here? No one. They're probably out at a farm. But they could tell us, they could tell us what it means to cultivate, right? Cultivate means to care for, to nurture, to protect, to make it flourish. And you, you guys have been doing Genesis right this year. You, we are called to cultivate the creation, to maintain it, to give it... It's beauty and order just to flourish. And time is part of that. Part of our calling is to look after time in that way. Let me remind you again of Genesis 1, uh, starting at verse 26. God said, Let us make humanity in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every, every living creature that moves on the ground. It's that emphasis on productivity, on fruitfulness, on ruling. It's all cultivation language. We're to fruitfully care for this creation, to cultivate it, to make it flourish. That includes your time. There was a time when time didn't exist. It's a created reality. C.S. Lewis, writing a letter to a friend, was really wrestling with the fleeting nature of time, like many of you are, and he wrote this, Do fish complain of the sea for being wet? Or if they did, would the fact itself not strongly suggest that they had not always been or would not always be purely aquatic creatures? Then if we complain of time and take such joy in the seemingly timeless moment, what does that suggest? It suggests that we have not always been or will not always be purely temporal creatures. It suggests that we were created for eternity. Not only are we, to be har- not only are we har- harried by time, we seem unable, despite a thousand generations, even to get used to it. We are always amazed by it, how fast it goes, how slowly it goes, how much of it is gone. Where, we cry, is the time gone? We aren't adapted to it, not at home in it. If that is so, it may appear as a proof, or at least a powerful suggestion, that eternity exists and it is our home. See, his point is that Time is created. And you know this, you feel this. We're frustrated by it at times, how quickly it goes away. Uh, We pine for memories of the past that are no longer with us and we sometimes bemoan our present experience that it's not going quick enough. 
We know this. Uh, despite what my name suggests, I'm a, I'm a terrible gardener. Um, uh, I'm actually fed up the number of times I introduce myself. People go, oh, you must be a good gardener. I'm like, oh, no, not at all. If you've seen our garden, you would know how bad it is. Uh, you know those exhibitions at the Royal Easter Show, uh, agricultural exhibitions where they have like giant pumpkins that form these beautiful artworks? Our garden beds are like that for weeds, they're, they're weed exhibitions, and we, just, we let the weeds flourish. But from time to time, my wife and I and our little kids, as they get older, we'll get out in the garden and get a kick up our backside and want to do something about it. And we'll get a new system. So we did this last Tuesday. We bought all these landscaping rocks and we weeded out this garden and we replanted. It's beautiful. But I bet we'll forget about it for the next two months. This, it seems to me, is how a lot of us go about cultivating time. We're aware that we need to do it better. Perhaps we feel guilty that we're not managing our time better. So we get a kick up our backside and we realise, oh, I've got to manage my time better. I've got to cultivate my time better. So we get systems in place. You read a book called Getting Things Done and you think, I know what I need to do. I need a time in my diary each week where I just sit down and get on top of this. You get your to-do list. Your diary's all up to speed. You do it for a couple of weeks and then you forget about it. We need to learn how to cultivate time because for a lot of us it doesn't come naturally. What this means, I think, is that we will value two things as humans created in the image of a God uh, who loves us and gives us good gifts like time. It means two things, that we will value competency and creativity as we go about cultivating our time. Competency, that we will really value cultivating time well, that we won't be content with mundane use of our time, that we'll look for better ways to get more out of our time. Next week, we'll look at some really concrete, particular ways we might do that, but also that we'll explore creative ways that we might do this. You'll work out, when are the times that actually I need to be at my best, most creative work? It could be an assignment that's looming, and you develop systems creatively that help you work creatively and well. Uh, for me, I, I work in an office that's it's growing, with a growing staff team, uh, and it's meant that the, the dynamic in the office has changed heaps in the last year where my office, I used to have my own office, it was great. I have a lounge in my own office, it was fantastic. And now I share it with uh, the guy who works with me in the youth ministry, uh, which is great, but I've lost my chair. Anyway, I've had to be creative now in how I do my good, deep work, creative work. So what that means is uh, I go to a cafe, I put on soundproofing headphones, and I listen to early 90s dance. Uh, it, the, the beat just helps me write. Uh, I say this uh, now, I've been outed. This used to be a secret shame, but I was in the office once and the headphone socket came out and Darude's sandstorm was blasting out. Uh, yet I, haven't, I haven't let it down since. You need to work out where are you at your... When do you need to be at your best? What tasks in my life do, do I really need to be switched on for? How can I creatively work at my best then? What can I do? You can do this. If you're feeling completely swamped out and that you are unable to manage your time better, you can do this. A few years ago, I caught up with a mentor who I catch up with from time to time and, and bring problems to him and, and get his help. And I was telling him how I was just feeling completely swamped in my role, like it was too big, too big a job, expecting a sympathetic ear. And he just sort of folded his arms and then just said my name, which is always an ominous sign. He said, Steve, and I waited for it. He said, the President of America has the same 24-hour period in his day as you, and his job is infinitely bigger than yours. Oh, thanks. At the time, I thought, wow, that's very insightful. And then I read a book that quoted my friend almost word for word. I realized, actually, no, 
my friend had quoted this guy. This is a great book that touches on some of these things called Spiritual Leadership, Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders. He writes, Our problem is not too little time, but making better use of the time we have. Each of us has as much time as anyone else. The President of the United States has the same 24 hours as we have. Others may surpass our abilities, influence or money, but no one has more time. There's something in that, right? Barack Obama is created in the image of God, just like you are. Sure, he has, I'm sure he has a massively high capacity, and he's got endless resources. But you can cultivate time better. You might be think, sitting there thinking, though, uh, that's not my experience. Time always gets the better of me. And that's, that's because of this second point. And I think you would have seen this in Genesis already. Any part of the good creation that we look at are we now seeing a frustrated experience? And this is true of time. Time is now corrupted. You will know this. The time that we live in is corrupted. Things that should come easily to us, they don't. They're, they're toilsome. Uh, emails that we should be able to fire off at the, the click of a finger now can come with sweat off our brow. Like Genesis 3 says, what does it say? Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. You'll notice the frustrated experience of getting things done, maintaining relationships. So that email you need to send off at 3.30 on a warm afternoon ends up in a two-hour journey of cat videos on YouTube or that assignment that you ace, you're top of the class, your study notes are famed, you produce the best study notes that have ever been made. And then when it comes to the crunch time and you're studying for the final exam, your brain just won't work. You can't get on top of your time and you tank out. Time has been corrupted. You know this. What this means is that if you're a Christian and we're reflecting on this, we'll do two things. Firstly, we'll have a realistic expectation about the corrupted nature of time. We won't expect it to always uh, happen easily for us to cultivate our time. We'll be realistic about our own capacity. Uh, something I'll often do when I catch up with people uh, in my work at church is go through their diary with them, especially people who love to say yes. I wonder if you're one of them. Someone comes to you, maybe a staff worker here, and you get the impression they're going to ask you to be involved in something. And before they've even finished, you just say, yep, I'm in. If you're that person, a really helpful exercise to do is to work out, realistically, what's my capacity? Uh, a helpful first step, get a diary, <laughs> get a weekly planner, work out what are all the things that are locked in on a normal week for me. Then write two other lists. On one list, write down what are all the things that I do in a week that aren't on that. And then on another list, what are all the things that I want to do? All the things that I want to do. These could be things like exercise, it could be seeing a girlfriend more, it, it could be a ministry that you've been invited to be involved, whatever it is. And then see if it's realistic. So I was doing this a few weeks ago with a friend from church and he had a moment where the things that he wanted to do literally don't fit into his waking hours. You need to have a realistic understanding of your capacity. You need to also be realistic that sometimes people will let you down. That you, as hard as you will to cultivate your time, and still sometimes it'll fail you. This is because none of us are that good 
at cultivating our time. This is, I think, what we need to bear in mind. Uh, There's a lot of literature out there on getting things done, on managing your time. And the frustration I have as I read through a lot of it is that it kind of leaves me with this assumption that if I just develop the right systems, I will always be on top of my time. But it's not true. There are moments when I'm just not that good. And there are moments when others I work with just aren't that good. If you've ever done a uni group assignment, you'll know this. There's that guy. I was that guy at uni who just doesn't pull his weight. No, I wasn't really. Sometimes we need to be realistic about our expectation of time. At the same time, we don't want to be content with the corrupted nature of time. We want to remember that because we know time is created, that it's good, and we're here to cultivate it, we want to get better use out of it. So I think it's good and right to pursue excellence with your use of time to not be content with the P's, get degrees approach to life. I don't know if you're one of those art students like I was my first couple of years. We lived by the mantra of P's, get degrees. Me and my friends would enrol in um, interesting but probably useless subjects like Welsh language. Uh, and then, you know, if you've looked at Welsh, there's no vowels in it. I don't know how on earth anyone speaks Welsh. So we would go to Manning Bar and just have a cheeky beer in the afternoon before our lecture to loosen up our tongue and completely justified. As long as we get a P, that's all right. Pursuing excellence challenges that. It challenges that. Reminding you that part of your creatureliness is that you are to reflect God's creativity, that his creativity doesn't work like that. He's not a P's, gets degrees kind of God. Remember that time's created, time's costly, sorry, time's corrupted. Finally, that time is costly. And we see this particularly in the Gospel. And by this, I mean it's costly in the sense that it's precious. It's so precious that in the Gospel, what we see is that God, the uncreated one, entered into time to redeem it, to bring back its goodness. At John 15, that verse that was read out, Jesus says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Anyone notice the, the similar language there to Genesis? What was it? Anyone? Non-rhetorical question. There's a sort of hand. Totally. Be fruitful. Jesus, it seems to me, and throughout the New Testament, picks up this Genesis language of fruitfulness, of our creatureliness, and it's now redefined. It's redefined around Jesus, around the Gospel. So Paul will say in Colossians 1 that it's now the gospel that's going out and bearing fruit and multiplying across the earth. And we see in Titus 2.14 that Paul writes this, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This verse is key seeing how the gospel now redefines our thinking about time. It's so costly that we've got to be zealous for good works. Not ho-hum, not peas get degrees, but zealous, energetic, creative, working hard at productivity, at being on top of our time. Legalism won't make you do that. Legalism will make you do enough to get by. Legalism will make you do enough to look better than the person who doesn't do enough. But the gospel, 
the gospel of the uncreated God taking on the creation in Jesus to redeem you from lawlessness, that gospel will make you zealous for good works. You might be thinking, yeah, but which good works? Now you've just raised the bar, and this is true, right? I hope you're feeling this. When we look at the gospel and what it says about time, it says time's so costly that now it's raised the stakes. It's really raised the stakes for how we are to think about time. It's helpful here to, to look at the work of a guy called Stephen Covey. He's not a Christian, but he's done a lot of thinking about time management. And he, he goes by this mantra, the key is not to prioritise your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. See that? Not to prioritise your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. He uses this illustration that helpfully balances out that Ryan Bingham uh, motivational speech I shared earlier. This is of an instructor on time management who brings a big glass jar before his class one day. And then he puts next to that glass jar some big, large stones. And he asks the class, how many of these large stones do you think I can fit in the jar? And they all throw out their answers, different answers. And he begins to put them in and fills up the jar. And then he asks them, do you think the jar's full? And they say, oh, yeah, it's full. Then he pulls out another bucket with gravel in it, a bucket full of gravel. And he pours it in the glass jar on top of the stones and the gravel moves around in all the gaps between the big stones. He shakes it around and he says, is it full? And they're silent now, they're onto him. Then he pulls out another bucket of sand and he pours it in on top of the gravel, on top of the stones, and it too moves around, fills in all the gaps. He says, is it full? They don't say anything. Then he pulls out a bucket of water and pours it over. And then he finishes and says, what's the point? And someone pipes up and says, you can always fit more into your life. That's one way to look at it, but it's wrong. The point is, <laughs> the point is, if he hadn't put the big rocks in first, none of it would have fit. So his point is, you've got to not prioritise your schedule, but schedule your priorities to put in your big rocks. So I want to ask you, right, spend one moment chatting to the person next to you, what are the big stones in your life that you need to put into your schedule? One moment. Anyone? Church. I don't know who said that, but nice. That's a good big stone. What else? Family. Family? Study. Study. Totally. Your degree... Uh, don't make the mistake here of thinking, because the gospel now raises the stakes, all of my stones are church, Bible reading, evangelism, prayer. They are very big, important rocks. But also probably your biggest rock, one of your biggest rocks right now is your degree. This gets to the core of those questions we're asking at the beginning, right? Who am I? Where am I? Where's God placed me? Oh, he's made you a creature. Your work right now is your degree. Sometimes what this will mean is that your degree, uh, you, you, you put to the side for a moment out of your faithfulness to the gospel as, it, as one of your other large stones. Right? So let me give you an example from a friend of mine who'd been a part of our small group for the last couple of years. She's very, very committed to her uni degree. She excels at it. She's also very, very committed to her church family and a number of different ministries she's involved in. What this means for her is that sometimes she will take the hit with her time uh, to make sure that she can commit to like a small group. So she was in our group last year. 
Uh, it clashed with her assignment being due on a Wednesday night when our group was on. What that meant was Monday and Tuesday nights she would work late into the night getting them done so that she'd be freed up on a Wednesday. I really admire that. Sometimes, though, your commitment to your degree as one of your large stones will mean you'll say no to a good gospel stone. It could be that your minister or a staff worker has invited you to be a part uh, of a leadership team in an exciting ministry. But you know already that you're kind of at your capacity and if you took that on, that your work now would suffer. And that's okay. We're going to come back to some more concrete examples like this next week. When, how do we juggle this? When we've got so many large stones, how do we differentiate? What's a large stone? What's some gravel and sand? How do we put all that together? So if you're thinking, I've still got so many questions about this, make sure you're here next week. But let me encourage you, if you're feeling the stretch of your time, it could be because you're getting the gospel. And you're getting that the gospel will so sharpen your focus in how you're to spend your time that it narrows it right down to one thing. And that is that when we cultivate our time, it's an act of love. That we're to think about our use of time as an expression of love. Jesus, when asked, what's the most important thing? What's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbour as yourself. You see it as well in John 15, after he talks of fruitfulness and how what he wants from his disciples is them to abide in him and bear fruit, he finishes verse 17 in saying, what's my commandment to you? Love one another. The gospel will so sharpen your focus on this question of what does it mean to cultivate time that you'll come back to love. And you'll only get this when you look at the gospel of Jesus. And it's so important to keep coming back to this. It will challenge an obsession with productivity that always puts tasks over people. And at the same time, it will really challenge you not to pit tasks against people. You'll know that there are some things I need to do in my life, some tasks that are an expression of my love, a means of cultivating this time well for the sake of God and other people. You will never get this, it seems to me, You'll never think about time and productivity rightly unless you're looking at God and how he's shown himself in Jesus. There we see just that the preciousness of time, that the uncreated one took it onto himself. He became part of the time. The one who invented it stepped into time knowing its limitations. Jesus walked around feeling the very same frustration some of you will feel. Endless opportunities to do good, finite time. So much need in front of him, 24-hour period of the day. The uncreated one stepped into that willingly to redeem us for himself, to make us zealous for good works. I'm going to pray. A gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us eyes that are firmly fixed on Jesus, that we would know what it looks like to cultivate our time as a matter of love, Help us to live in this world in such a way that we bring honour and praise to you. We pray that you would help us to redeem the time that you've given us, that in all that we do, we would show our love of you and our love of other people, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.